welcome back to part three of the story of Leslie Morgan Steiner. If you are new to this episode, this is what you've just come across first, part three. I suggest you go back and listen to the first two parts. It's really, really interesting and this rest of it is probably not going to make any sense to you. If you are still here after listening to the previous two parts, then thank you so much because I know that there's a lot of info in here. So thanks for that. Um, I haven't been up to much in the last week since I've been on here. I had a pretty tough week, to be honest. I had a little bit of a meltdown a few days ago. Um, My uh, mental health was waning. I had to uh, take some time off of work, uh, step away from life for a while. Um, I just was, I didn't even recognize at first that I thought I was fine and then just kind of found myself at work the other day and just my mood was extremely low and I found myself getting like upset and angry for like no reason at all and like my whole body was tense um I just I had like a weird headache it was it was just not a good day and just decided to take some time off and it was the best thing for me I just literally read books for the last couple of days and um I'm feeling great now. I think it's really important to like recognize when you're not feeling okay like that. Um, And to be honest about it, first of all, with yourself. You don't need to be honest about it with other people. I personally find it easier and I find it helps me to kind of speak about it. Um, I briefly mentioned it on my Instagram and had a lot of really supportive messages, had a lot of people saying that you know, they've felt the same way um, currently or in the past. Um, I think it's just good to talk about these things. Um, And, you know, we're all, we all go through bad times and it's hard to be honest about it. Uh, You don't have to be honest about it, but I think it helps for me anyway, certainly. So if you are going through the same thing, I feel for you, I've been there and it all turns out okay in the end. So that's great. Um, also wanted to mention, as uh, uh, I had a little request from a coworker, you know who you are. Um, so I watched uh, the Batman the other week and was vocal about it on my social media. But my lovely coworker uh, thought it deserved a mention on the podcast. He's a really big fan. Um, I'm a huge Batman fan. To me, Michael Keaton will always be my Batman. I'm an 80s, 90s girl. Um, That's my kind of thing. I also love the Christian Bale Batmans. I've been kind of a little bit like, okay, there's too much now. I don't need another Batman. I don't need another Joker. It's like too much. So I went into the Batman kind of thinking I wasn't going to like it. Uh, But was willing to give it a chance. Not really the biggest Rob Pattinson fan, to be honest. And yeah, I lasted an hour and a half through the, what, over three hour movie. And I just, I had to turn it off. It was not for me. Um, didn't enjoy it. Can't get into it, honestly, that much anymore. Um, but yeah, wasn't a fan. Uh, don't think it had any redeeming qualities. Um, I quite liked uh, seeing Colin Farrell in complete disguise. I thought he did a great job. Um, I'm a big Paul Dano fan. And even that, to be honest, wasn't enough for me to keep me watching for the whole thing. I just didn't like it. I was, as I said, vocal about it on my social media. I have never had so many DMs about any topic ever. 
something I have about not liking this movie. I was hounded by people telling me how wrong I was, etc., etc. Um, I had three people who agreed with me. And listen, it's fine. We all have our own opinions about movies. You like it, you like it, you don't, you don't. It's no big issue, but apparently it's a big issue for a lot of people. Um, I had a lot of angry a lot of angry people commenting back at me and you know what it's fine it's fine it's a movie don't worry about it um but yeah that was um just a just a little quick mention uh for my co-worker so there you go um I would say he he was accepting of the fact that I didn't like it um so I'll give him that one <laughs> so anyways with that let's get back to the story so where we left off last week, um, Leslie had just been brutally beaten and almost killed by Connor. Um, and he had just left and she just called the police. So here's what happened afterwards. Two cops arrived not long after. She told him about the beating. One of them shook his head in anger and disgust. He said, we see a million cases like this. He'll apologize tomorrow, promise everything, then we'll be back in a few weeks. He told her to go to City Hall and file a restraining order, to call the precinct tomorrow, make sure a cop issues the order, and to go with one of the officers to serve the order and verify his identity. She knew she could handle the City Hall visit, but seeing Connor again was a prospect too terrifying to contemplate. He also told her to get a divorce lawyer. She felt these two officers cared for her in a way that Connor didn't or couldn't. As they left, one turned and said, remember this when you think about how much you love him. He tried to kill you tonight. Next time, we might find you dead here. She thought to herself, no one is ever going to find me dead on that floor. She drove to City Hall after cleaning herself up. She had to fill in a bunch of forms. She described all the times Connor had held a gun to her head, the day he pulled the keys out of the ignition while she was driving, everything that had happened over the last few hours. She needed to scrunch up her words to get it all down. She thought about someone reading this and thinking she had provoked it or made it up. The day before, she had been taking her last accounting exam and it was supposed to be on her way to Paris. Instead, she was standing in a government building in the middle of the night with cuts in her face, describing the myriad times and ways her husband beat her up during the course of their two and a half year marriage. I remember um, this happening to me too, like sitting in this tiny little office and having to sum up in the tiniest amount of space on this form all of the reasons why I was there, all of the reasons why I needed a restraining order. And it was just so beyond surreal because just that morning, I had been excited about my day off for work. Just, it was just a regular day, but to think that it went from that to an extreme attack that ended with the cops being called on me to me finally leaving my abuser and now suddenly being in a courthouse filing paperwork for a protection order it was just like your life can really just change in such a short space of time like this all happened to me within a few hours and it was just even still now I it's kind of like beyond my thinking like I still can't even fathom that like all that happened over just the space of a few hours when Leslie got home she began calling her friends and her sister about what had happened 
Her friend told her that Connor was staying with his friend Matt who lived in her building. This was important as she needed his whereabouts so the police could serve him. She didn't call the rest of her family or even Winnie. Repeating what had happened would make the truth stand out like boldface on page six. Connor had almost killed me. I too avoided telling everyone for a really long time. Um, I had told one friend what was going on. She was someone who kind of was aware of what was happening um, in the, the few months before that anyway. And I kind of kept her updated throughout the day as what was going on. And then maybe like a couple of days later, I just sent a group text to my close friends saying that, you know, I briefly told them what happened, um, just let them know I was okay, but that I didn't want to talk to anyone right now. It was just... It was exhausting and it was also like shameful to keep repeating it. I also kind of just needed time to come to terms with what had just happened myself. Leslie went with the officers the next day to serve the papers. She was fearful. She noticed the cop had his hand on his gun as Connor answered the door. He sounded like any other man, not someone who beat his wife last night. Leslie stood slightly behind the officer. Connor signed the restraining order without protest. For me, this seems really strange that she needed to be there, like literally there at the door with the cop to serve the papers to verify that that was Connor. Like that seems so strange to me because I know you're with the cop, but like the whole point is that you have a restraining order to stay away from this man, but then you're literally standing there with him. Like I can't imagine how hard that was for it. And I just don't know why it was necessary. I know that this is different times too. Like this all happened, you know, long, long time ago. Also different states have different laws. Um, for me, this is something that happened, what, like almost seven years ago. I didn't need to be there, thank God. But I was told by the officers to stay in the police station. I gave him his information, gave him the protection order, you know, where he lived, etc. Um, they knew what he looked like. I showed them a picture of him and I basically had to wait in the police station while they went to serve it and then came back, um, which to me makes a lot more sense. But the fact that like she had to be there with them, I don't know, something just seems weird about that. Um, the only thing I can guess is that maybe... Um, the laws are different then you know she lived in a different state than I do um it's something I'm gonna look into actually and we'll mention uh, hopefully next week when the officer dropped her home he told her to call the police immediately if he violated the terms to not contact him at all the restraining order applied to both of them the next day was Christmas she spent one more day by herself to come to terms with everything before calling her mother her mother said, I'm so sorry for you, Leslie, and for him, because he's lost you now. This undid her. Despite her cruel criticism of Leslie over the years, from where she sat, Leslie was anyone and everyone's prize. Winnie was relieved she had finally left him. She said she had always thought he was an axe murderer. Oh fuck, thought Leslie, was I such a fool? This is very true. When I told all of my friends and family eventually, suddenly everyone gave me their honest opinions of him and none of them were positive. And I was so surprised and questioned my own judgment because I was like, well, first of all, you never made this clear to me at any point. And then also I was like, you guys all thought this of him. This can be a coincidence, but I was taken in by him. Um, so you really just kind of question yourself and you know this is a really common thing to happen to survivors 
Hanging up, dialing and repeating the story to everyone felt like peeling layers of skin off of an open wound. It was like building a barricade brick by brick to stop her from giving him another chance, from crossing the yellow lines. The fact she still loved Connor, would probably always love him, was a grave threat. She was afraid of the future and afraid of herself. That's the one thing I'll say, like this is a very common thing that um, survivors go through after they leave. Um, you know, they still love him. They feel like there's the temptation to go back there and all of that. But like for me, I never felt any of that. But I think what it was is that I'd already known at this point for probably over a year that I was going to leave. I just had to, you know, there was various reasons I needed money and all of this. And, you know, I had to make sure that it was safe for me to leave. Um, so I think I'd gotten to the point where I just completely hated him. But that just happened before I had left him. Um, so I think that's probably the only reason. Whereas if I had left him, like, you know, even a year or two before that, it probably would have been different. I probably would have felt like this too. When Leslie went back home after Christmas, she checked first to make sure Connor hadn't come back. She was relieved, but also ashamed to admit she was disappointed. How could she possibly miss him? But she did. The next day, she walked to campus to get a coffee and check her mailbox. Crossing the bridge on campus, she felt a familiar presence. She saw it was Connor. She screamed at him, you ruined my life, I fucking hate you. He stood still. She walked past, still screaming. She knew he couldn't hurt her here. By the time she got home, she felt curiously refreshed. For once, she had had the last word with him, and it felt good. Then she started to laugh a little. She felt a shard of hope about her life, her future. It never occurred to her that Connor had followers had followed her back to her, the apartment and was waiting until he saw the living room light to turn on so he could watch her silhouette from the street. She noticed him an hour later when she switched off the light. She crouched under the window, watching him watch her. When he still didn't leave, she dragged the dresser from the bedroom to the front hallway, blocking the door so she could fall asleep. This here is one of the many reasons why over six years later, I still look over my shoulder before I turn down my block. I don't know where my abuser lives now. I'm pretty sure he still lives in New York and I'm it's very possible that he still lives in the same neighborhood as me. Um, and I don't know anybody here now that I can ask and find out. Um, but it's just one of those things when, not even when I'm turning into my house, but like when I'm like, a block or so away from where I live I always do a quick turnaround to make sure he's not anywhere in the vicinity because I do not want him to know where I live it's like I just want him to not even think that I exist anymore that I'm not even like a real person anymore if that makes any sense the next 10 days passed by like time spent underwater a lot of crying and trying to absorb that she had left Connor she tried to come to terms with the fact that he had tried to kill her. She had never felt so alone in her life, but stupidly, she wasn't scared. Despite what she knew about how dangerous it was to leave an abusive man, she felt far more shock and sadness than fear. One night, she had an epiphany. She thought back to all of the early signs she had ignored, like him choking her that first time during sex. Part of her had known about Connor's dark side when they had dated only a few months. It was her elemental mistake that she did not listen to her own voice trying to warn her about the danger she was in. Why didn't she listen then? Would she listen now? In January, she headed for her first callback interview for a large consumer company. The bruises on her neck and cuts all over her face had just healed. An old friend picked her up from the airport. She couldn't bring herself to tell her about Connor. That she could be such a good actress seemed a dirty secret. Faker, liar, she felt numb and amnesiac. 
The worst part was how much she missed him. She wanted him there in San Francisco with her. The only person who could understand her was the last person she could turn to. But he chose violence, she chose her. She vowed that she would graduate from business school and get every job offered to her. Damn him. You sort of want to prove that you can survive and thrive without them, and you can. I got my own apartment, I got promoted at my job, I got my citizenship. These were all things that he thought I'd never be able to do without him, and he even kind of made me believe that I wouldn't be able to either. Even the fact of like being able to survive alone in a place like New York for me was huge and it's just a very proud feeling that I have for myself. Leslie tried to persuade herself that she deserved this, not being thrown on the floor of her apartment by her own husband. Domestic violence, a husband who beat her, the truth just didn't seem possible. She went to a Nordstrom and bought a red coat dress that proclaimed a confidence she did not possess. Fake it till you make it and she got the job. A few weeks later, she went to see a therapist. She told her she wanted someone to tell her to help her find out what went wrong here, what she did wrong. She wanted brutal honesty. She wanted someone to really help her see why she was so screwed up that she made such bad decisions. Again, like you still don't really understand that it's abuse at this point. You kind of need to hear it from other people, especially professionals, to believe that it's true and that it's not your fault. Although I knew I was being abused, at the same time, I hadn't fully grasped it. And it was only a 10 minute conversation with the social worker on the morning that I left that made me realize it wasn't my fault. I was the victim here. I wasn't the bad guy. I wasn't the perpetrator. And nothing I had done had warranted the behavior inflicted towards me over the last few years. Leslie explained her history with Connor. The therapist didn't ask a single question about him. She didn't dig into why Leslie had chose someone like Connor or why she still wore her wedding ring. She did point out that it might be difficult to reunite with Connor, given that she couldn't picture being alone with him for 30 seconds without beginning to hyperventilate. The therapist said, let me give you some kindness and respect right now. First, it is amazing that you survived. Most women don't. Second, you haven't turned back to alcohol or drugs as a way to cope. Incredible. You are far stronger than you think. As you go through this journey, be honest with yourself, trust your instincts, ask for help when you need it and you will be fine. Last thing, this is key. Don't think about what's happening right now or what you went through with Connor. Feel it. Let what you feel guide you. Again, I will say you have to feel it to really process it because you're so numb at the time and, you know, it's very easy to like think about all these things and think like oh yeah that you know that was a really bad thing to do or like whatever but you actually have to really feel it like through your body to really grasp just how enormous enormously wrong this is later that afternoon cherry called leslie to tell her connor had moved into a studio apartment about eight blocks from her she told her that everyone knows he physically abused her a few people were talking about how he follows her home and stands outside her apartment. We're scared for you, Leslie. Leslie can't quite see yet how terrifying this actually is. He is following her and standing outside her apartment. As I said, I lived in the same neighborhood as my abuser after I left him for a long time. And every now and again, I would spot him like entering a store or I would see him from the bus window. 
I avoided his street where he lived. I avoided any bars I knew he went to, any stores I knew he went to. I wasn't scared then. It was more like I just didn't want him to see me, but I should have been scared. I didn't know then how dangerous it is after you leave an abuser. And now it just gives me chills to know that he could have followed me and seen where I lived. All of a sudden, Leslie was feeling a whole lot. Cherry told her now she had to focus on staying safe. Don't you even think about getting back together with him, she said. You wouldn't let me hit you, would you? You wouldn't take any abuse from a friend. So you know what? Apply those same standards to the men you get involved with. Pretend they're me. Don't take anything from a guy that you wouldn't tolerate from me. Call me anytime, anywhere, if you even think about getting back together with him. She didn't tell her that she thought about getting back together with together with Connor every single day. She still slept in their bed in their apartment with their dog alone and it didn't feel good. This might seem hard to understand to anyone who hasn't gone through it. Like why would you get back together after being apart and everything is done? It isn't that easy. You're so broken down by them and they've made you believe for years that you are nothing but a burden on everyone and that you can't survive without them. You feel so alone because no one understands and you're too ashamed to admit that you still love them when everyone else is saying what a scumbag he is. Life is hard now that you're alone. You feel lonely. You think you can even tolerate the abuse once you're not alone again. In February, Leslie started finding presents from Connor on her front porch. He called about twice a week. Their conversations were brief. No, she didn't need anything. No, she didn't want to have dinner. It was all she could do to refuse him. And again, see here how he has returned back to the love bombing behaviors of the early days. This isn't real. You know, he doesn't mean this. He doesn't really want to get back together with her because he loves her. He is just trying to lure her back into his net like he did at the beginning. He almost killed you, Leslie, she said to herself. But a second later, it would seem irrational, paranoid. How could she think her own husband might try to kill her? But he had. One morning, he stopped her while she left class. He got so close she could smell his breath, feel the warmth of his body. In a panic, she looked around quickly. A few students slowed down in disbelief to see they were talking to each other. He pleaded with her to listen to him. His words seemed sincere, so she did listen. I have to admit all the wrongs I have done to you. I also had these words said to me, but in the form of text messages. But then a while later, he would flip again when I ignored him and he would be nasty. This was as close to an apology as he had ever gotten. She had to hear this. But notice also that he never actually apologizes. The words, I am sorry, never leave his lips. He said he was going to a self-help group of men who had abused women and that it was hard work. Was that a teardrop in his eye, a glimmer of hope for him and maybe even for them together, shimmied through her. He asked her to come to family therapy with him. He said he needed to be with her. She was still in shock and told him she needed time to think about it. The next day, she left a message in his mail folder saying she tried the therapy. Was she stupid? Hope was always good, right? Maybe therapy would help him. Maybe it would help her. Maybe she was still crazy enough about Connor to try anything. Two weeks later, they arrived separately to the appointment he'd set up. There were two therapists, a husband and wife team. Connor leaned forward. I love her. I love you. I need you. You are the girl of my dreams. Please, Leslie, I will do absolutely anything if you give me another chance. She looked at the wedding band she still couldn't bring herself to take off. Connor spoke again. 
Therapy is helping me see that I am particularly vulnerable to stress and anger at night because of my childhood, because Wade used to beat me at night when he got home from his job. If things are going to work out, Leslie needs to be more careful in the evenings not to bring up my hot button subjects. I've made a list. Money, academic performance, family stuff. I can't talk about those things. I've got a copy for you right here. This fills me with so much rage. Here he is playing the victim again. He has still not apologised. He's blaming his abusive childhood and even blaming Leslie for triggering him. He's taking zero responsibility. He's acting like he is the victim, not the abuser. And this pathetic list he gives of triggering topics that she, she shouldn't bring up in order to stop him from beating her. Money, family and academics. I mean, these should be things that you can and should talk to your spouse about. It just melts my brain. Leslie thought, how could everything still be about him? Did he have an inkling of how she had suffered and was still suffering because of what he'd done to her? She didn't say anything. It was therapeutic enough to sit there. She was exhausted after the 90 minute session and when she left she threw out the list of Connor's hot buttons. Three days after the therapy session was their family court date. The 60-day restraining order was expiring soon. A judge who had never met either of them would decide whether Connor was still a threat to Leslie. She had no lawyer. She had asked her dad, but he said he didn't know anyone in that line of work, which obviously greatly upset her. She thought her own dad was ashamed of her. An advocate approached her and gave her a brief explanation of what to expect. You don't have to talk to your husband. The most you'll have to do is tell the judge what happened to make you file the original restraining order and why you want it made final. It's a brief routine procedure. I'm here to moderate and to make sure the judge hears your side in addition to your husband's. Now, this upsets me so much because as I've told in detail in a previous episode, I was completely alone. I had no representation. I had no support from family or friends and no one told me what to expect or what to say. And I certainly didn't have my side of the story listened to. The female judge I had spoke over me continuously and even reprimanded me. But she listened to my abuser completely and even smiled and was super polite to him when he was speaking. Leslie sensed that this woman was trying to protect women like her who might be intimidated by a judge or by speaking against their husband in a court of law. Women like her whose husbands had tried to kill them. Connor showed up just a few minutes before their appointment. The judge renewed the restraining order for another six months. It was a thin piece of paper, but to Leslie it was precious. Sometime after that, Blue sadly passed away after becoming sick. Leslie called Connor to let him know. He immediately blamed her. Why hadn't she taken him to the vet earlier? Why hadn't she called him when he first got sick? Another tie to Connor was gone. In March, she kept her second appointment with Connor at therapy. Connor said they both wanted to stay together when asked by the therapist how they were both feeling. He said they had some hard times, but they belonged together. He never loved anyone so much he needed her. Yuck, she thought. She had not talked to Connor about their marriage, so how could he speak for her? She said, well, actually, I don't feel that way. She was too angry to cry as she said, I want to get divorced. The therapist stared at her in surprise. Weren't they going to ask her to explain why she wanted a divorce? To justify her decision with 10 reasons? Did they expect her to cry about how Connor destroyed her? To say any woman would be crazy to get back together with a bastard like him. To explain how sorry she felt for him. Instead, both therapists looked at each other and nodded in unison. Okay, Leslie, you can go, they said. As she left, she saw Connor pounding a fist into his other hand. 
Once she got home, she locked a bolt of the door twice, checked it again and again and unplugged her phone. She slept well that night. She ran into a friend of Connor's the next day who asked her if Connor was okay. She wondered why. He said because the night before he'd been found by their friend Matt at a train station where he had been for six hours walking around in a daze like a homeless person. Matt had taken him to the ER. He had to stay for an evaluation. She had to tell herself he's not your husband. She began to cry. She couldn't help him anymore. Come April, Leslie had been spending ten hours each week with her ther- two hours each week with her therapist. They talked about her future and her life going forward. They even laughed a fair amount, which always took her by surprise. As she left one appointment, she gave her homework. She had to make a list of the top ten things she wanted from her relationship the next time. It caught her completely off guard. She couldn't fathom going on a date with another man. She spent long evenings at home working on the list. The day before their next session, she printed it out. Must be kind, good, uncomplicated, a nice person. Must be successful at life in general, in work, relationships, sports or whatever is meaningful to him. Must be crazy about me. Must have a good relationship with his mother. Would make a good father. Must value independence in himself and in me. Must like animals. Must enjoy watching and playing sports. Must have great friends. Must enjoy books and writing. She noticed that, except for being crazy about her, Connor had never fit any of these criteria. And I gotta say, exact same thing for me. When I think about all the things that I want now, and I look back, and even like looks-wise and everything, I'm like, literally none of these things were traits that my ex had. It's so bizarre. Late one night, she got a phone call from Sprint Phone Service. They wanted to confirm that they had permission to release her phone records to Connor. They had received a request of all of her local and long-distance phone calls from the past six months. They apologised for disturbing her so late, but they had thought it was an unusual request. She told them thank you and that no to not release them. She told the guy she was going through a divorce from an abusive man. The Sprint employee agreed that he had sounded aggressive on the phone when he had just called them. She said that he put a note... She asked that he put a note in her account so that this couldn't happen again. This is something similar that happened to me. I only kept my phone for a while after I left him until I could afford to switch networks because we had a joint account. Um, And I logged into the account one day and I noticed that he had had only my phone number um, and all the calls itemized on the bill, not his, just mine. And I knew he was trying to track my location and who I was calling. It was the first time I was really freaked out after leaving him. Um, I managed to reverse it and luckily finally managed to change my network and my number not long after. I've mentioned before that it was extremely hard for me to get a phone uh, network by myself as all of the companies refused me based on my short credit history. And coincidentally enough, it was Sprint that were the last company I went to who finally showed me or finally allowed me to get a bill with them. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, that's pretty amazing that like they noticed that and contacted her because that would have been, you know, obviously really, really dangerous to give out that information. Leslie was afraid and puzzled when she hung up. She wondered what Connor's next move would be. All the places and people he could call to hurt her in whatever way he could. 
She got the locks changed the next day. When she got in the car, she immediately started locking the doors before she even started the engine. She stopped leaving her apartment after dark if possible. She mapped every payphone between her apartment and school. The restraining order was always in her wallet. Again, these are more examples here of why it is so dangerous to leave. A few days later, she got a divorce lawyer. For the first time, she took off her wedding ring. The lawyer lawyer advised her to give in on everything to get it over with right away. Otherwise, she could be stuck with him for five years going back and forth. The best thing was to get it over with now. Secondly, a judge may even believe Connor over her. This angered Leslie. She wanted to fight Connor. She called her therapist to tell her about her lawyer's approach. She said she knew it was hard to hear, but the lawyer probably had the best strategy. Connor was abusive and manipulative throughout their marriage. You should expect him to continue to be abusive and manipulative during her divorce. She found out through her lawyer, Greg, that Connor had listed a new official residence, her aunt Nellie's summer house. Why? That was Leslie's refuge, her family home. Why would someone who had loved her since she was born let a man who beat her list her house as his residence? Also, Connor had visited her father three weeks ago in Washington and he had given Connor $3,000 to help him get back on his feet. Her father, the same man who couldn't trouble himself to get her a divorce lawyer, had helped Connor and never even told her he had seen him. Connor used that money to hire his attorney. It turned out that getting divorced was becoming harder than getting married. Can you even imagine this kind of betrayal? Like how awful this must have been for her you know, in the middle of everything she's going from, to know that your own family helped your abuser, knowing that he had beat her, that he had almost killed her. But there was more. Connor's attorney believed that Leslie should be paying him temporary alimony in order to support him in the manner he had been accustomed to living with her. Another request. Connor wanted his guns back. More examples of why leaving your abuser is not easy and it doesn't just end there once you leave them. Also, the thought of him having those guns back is terrifying. What does he need them for? He could very easily use them against her. This is just all retaliation against her for having the audacity to leave him. While Leslie was reading from the emotional sucker punches from people she loved, she was struck by the kindness of people she barely knew. The vet, her therapist, all the people at school who didn't ask questions, the cops from that first night, the family court advocate, the person who had banged on the door the night he almost killed her. Did that person even know they had saved her life? Her high school English teacher who had left her a message almost every day. The locksmith who bumped her up on the waitlist. Blue. She knew it was all going to be okay when this was over. For me too, I remember what sticks out to me the most of anyone was all the kindnesses from the people who barely knew me or had nothing to do with the situation. I had been really upset and betrayed by a lot of my friends' behaviours after I left. Um, But it was just people like who barely were part of my life that really just stood out to me that I couldn't believe like two prime examples that stand out to me from this time was firstly one of my managers at work who was so kind and concerned when I had to call that night to tell them that I wouldn't be in the next day as I had to go and file a protection order against my abuser and he just kept asking if I was okay he sounded really concerned He told me to contact them if I needed anything, to take all the time off I needed. He continued to check in on me when I came back to work. And then exactly a week later was my 30th birthday, day before my 30th birthday. And I ended up going out with this girl 
who I, I had only just met her through a mutual friend and she brought one of her friends with her. Now, all of my actual friends had left earlier in the night after we'd had dinner, but these two, who I barely knew, took me on the most fun night out. They didn't let me pay for anything. We danced, we laughed. They even had the whole bar sing happy birthday to me on the stroke of midnight on my official birthday. And like all of these things meant so much to me while I was in the middle of such trauma. Even, I just recall, um, you know, the bodega that I go to all the time and that I, and this is honestly one of the reasons why I still go to this bodega, even though I live now a lot closer to like several others, I'll always make the walk further to go here. Um, You know, I lived like two blocks away. So we used to go there all the time, like pretty much every day. And like sometimes a couple of times a day, you know how you do when you're in New York. And this guy literally was like oh like this was a little while later he's like I never see you here anymore and like I never see you with the guy that you're always with and you know I kind of was just like oh you know we're not together anymore and whatever and he was like really concerned about it and just like asking me questions and he was just even just like he I remember him saying excuse me saying stuff like oh you know like sometimes things don't work out and you know just like little things like that it was just like the cutest thing ever um so all that kind of stuff just like means so much and it's one of those things where you know just being kind to people and being polite it just means so much because you never know what people are going through in their lives and even just like holding the door open for someone or you know saying hi or like offering them a seat like whatever it is those things can mean so much to people depending on like what they're going through in their day. Leslie had, back in February, turned Connor's guns into the police. The cop had told her that she was doing the right thing. When she went to the diamond jeweler in New York and returned her wedding and engagement rings, he had been remarkably kind as well. He sent her a cheque she used to pay Greg's retainer. A marketing professor she barely knew came up to her saying she had heard about her situation and that she'd been in the same predicament years before. She said to her, you'll get out. You're going to be fine. You won't believe how much better you're going to feel a year from now. Hang in there. Honestly, that makes me so emotional to read it because it is so very true. And I wish I could tell everyone going through the worst of it that it will feel amazing eventually. And that's like a huge part of why I do advocacy work now, why I do this podcast, because you never know who you are going to reach. One night the phone rang. It was Ed, Connor's old work friend who used to have dinner with them and had been the first person to notice something wasn't right. He said he knew she probably felt awful and he had to be there for Connor right now, but he wanted her to know she was a great girl and any guy would be lucky to be with her. In a year, this would feel like a nightmare that had happened to someone else. In five years, she would be married to a wonderful man with two kids and totally happy. He guaranteed it. These kindnesses didn't deaden the pain of Connor's betrayal her aunt's puzzling hospitality come disloyalty and her father's emotional abandonment. But they did give her hope for the future. Hope was always good. The job offers kept rolling in over the next few weeks. Each phone call and letter from a recruiter was a vote against what Connor had done to her. A promise that if she could hold out long enough, she was going to have a future, a safe future without Connor. Each offer was hundreds of miles away from him, far enough that he couldn't stalk her or track her down. She never once had imagined in Vermont that the MBA degree she had never planned to do was going to be her key to getting away from him. From time to time, she passed him in the halls. She had heard he'd started dating an old girlfriend in Chicago. 
She spotted him pacing the block in front of her building one night, looking up at the living room windows as he dro- she drove past, looking for a safe place to park their car. On Leslie's graduation day, she stopped by the campus to empty her mailbox. There was just an envelope from a note with a note from Connor. Goodbye, retard. I wish you all the best. Sorry we didn't make it together. I'll always think of you. She cried. How could he think a few phrases could capture the end of their relationship? His note made her love for him and all they'd been through sound trite, easily dismissed on a scrap of paper. She was about to start a new job with an unlisted phone number and a post office box instead of a published address on the same day she turned 27, as alone as she had ever been. As she left, she saw him one last time in the distance. She had to take one last look at him, but he didn't see her. There was a woman at his side with his hand around her waist. She never saw him again. Years later, she had three young children, but continued to dream about Connor. She would wake up and it would take a minute to realise she was safe. She had been safe for years. She set out a box in their boiler room, duct taped shut for more than 15 years. It held fragments of her life with Connor, their wedding album, pictures of Connor as a child, the frame he had broken over her head that last night, her wedding veil, Connor's resume from their first date and the permanent restraining order from the family court. I'm going to read now what she says in the last couple of pages of her memoir. For a long time after I left him, I struggled with how I fit our society's stereotype of an abused woman. Exactly why and how I had lost myself to a man who was intelligent enough to see he was destroying me. I kept silent during cocktail party debates about why women, Mary Winkler, Nicole Simpson, Farrah Fawcett, Lacey Peterson, or whoever was in the news that week, stayed in violent relationships. I walked away after the inevitable pronouncement that women who let themselves be abused are weak, uneducated, self-destructive, powerless. I fit none of these stereotypes. I never met a battered woman who did. I paid for loving Connor. For years, I lived with an unlisted phone number and took my mail at a post office box. I sold the Vermont house at a 40% loss. It took me almost a decade to settle both our business school debts. I imagine I will always flinch when a man, any man, raises his voice. I have had to tell everyone I dated about Connor. I have had to tell every employer too so their security desk would know to turn Connor away if he ever came looking for me. And although I don't have to nearly every time, even though I don't have to nearly every time I speak publicly, I briefly mentioned that I was once married to an abusive man because I never know who is listening, who my words might help. I don't imagine I will ever unpack that cargo box very often, but I can't deny that story is a part of me, my life, who I am. It's taken me years to understand the particular dangerous chink in my self-esteem that let Connor slip in. But in one profound way, I was lucky. While still in my 20s, I learned to spot and stay away from abusive men. Some women don't learn from their mistakes. Most people don't get second chances in life. I was able to marry again, to raise children with a stable, loving man and to pursue a career that has given me financial freedom and professional rewards beyond my childhood dreams. Connor is fine. He may appear in my dreams every few years, but he'll never have power over me again. I don't regret loving him, but I'm happy to bury our past in a corner of my basement next to the furnace where it belongs. So that concludes the story of Leslie Morgan Signer. Thank you so much for sticking with me through this. It was a long one for sure, but there is just so much important information here in her story. And I think it's a really great example of the escalation of abuse which is something that I'm very passionate about and I think a lot of people don't see and don't understand. So I just didn't want to leave out any part of the story. Um, I hope you guys learned something from it. That's all I do here is I want you to learn 
about it so that you can be aware of this ever happening to you. You can recognize if it is happening to you, if it has happened to you in the past, if it's happening to a friend of yours. That's all I really want here. I just want to spread as much information and educate as many people about it as possible. And, you know, Leslie was one of the people that did that for me. I had been gone from my abusive relationship for a few years and I still had an absolute revelation when I first heard her speak. Um, So you just never know. You learn things constantly. As a survivor, I'm constantly learning from hearing stories of people I've never heard before. Um, So yeah, that's it for this week. Um, I may take a little break for now because I put so much work into this over the last couple of months and I'm kind of exhausted from it. So it might be another while before you get the next episode, but you never know. It could be next week. It could be the week after. I'm just going with it. So thanks once again. Also, if you need to contact me at any point, you know where to reach me. I have all my links in the bio and thank you so much. See you next time.